steps. The question we have to ask, periods. Write in pain signs. Word taken to prevent a military contest. I have to say something for the fifth dispute between them. We are beings. Members of the species man. Members of this or that nation. Doubt. The world is full of conflicts. Learn to ask ourselves not what steps can be taken to give military victory to whatever group we prefer, for there no longer are such clear enough to be understood. You have dirty money. You know who I am. Ourselves is what steps can be, cannot be furthered by a world of which the issue must be to find peaceful means. In view of the fact that in any future, disposal of interests who are turning certainly be employed, and that such you were granted an area for psychic world war, nuclear weapons will war, and we urge them consequently. Weapons threaten the settlement of all matters. Urge the governments of the continued existence of mankind, we publicly, that their purpose world to realize and to acknowledge. Place your services at thee whose continued existence is in America into a police state, and overshadow it all speaking on this occasion, not as between communism and continent or creed, but as human to think in a new way. We have to take a life, divide into five year or six time I have to say it, minor conflicts, the titanic struggle signs, cut, concentrate, when above clear enough, or must anti-communism. We have to learn development, sold out department, enjoy your disastrous to all parties. by the signatories to the notice of all the powerful governments of the world in the earnest hope that they may agree to allow their citizens to survive. Welcome, this is The Earth Hotel. My name is Jackie Cotillard and I'm your host for this weird show. And by weird, I mean focused on obscure signals and fun psychic adventures that people go on in their lives as we walk around this place. But in this episode, we also talk about kegs, nipples, keyboards, nuclear weapons, uh, Fox News, but in a fun way, strobe lights, and those obscure forces that I was talking about. My guest this week is a circuit bender. His name is Will McDonald, he's from Montevallo, and he rewires keyboards, toy keyboards or cheap Yamaha or Casio keyboards, and makes them work against themselves, which I'm a fan of. So we talk about his technological exploits and the art that he makes. Before we get to the meat of the episode, I want to thank everyone who's been tuning in. For the past few weeks, in lieu of me being on the air, uh, more people have shown up at the website and started poking around all the little things that are there. Pagers are going up all the time at theearthhotel.org. If you have stuff that you would like to appear on the show, if you would like to appear on the show, or if you have any skills such as booking, management, talent management, graphic design, sound design, if you write things, if you make things, if you do video, Anything that you think could add to the show, I am offering small paid commission positions, volunteer positions, and just send stuff my way if you want it. My email is theearthhotel at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. And if you've been tuning into the show for a while, my heart is with you. I, I have so much gratitude for you. I don't know what to do. Thanks for being here along this little path. And if you're just showing up, thanks for showing up. That's really cool that you made it here somehow. What you just heard was a cut-up experiment between two documents, one of which was a letter from the writer William S. Burroughs to the writer Truman Capote, in which Burroughs admonished him for misusing his talent in support of a police state. By writing in cold blood, he was dramatizing the criminal justice system in a way that criminalized certain elements while calling for increased police pressure on top of them, which in Burroughs' eyes was calling for increased government control of society. 
So in kind of a, a psychic rage, Burroughs told him that his department was revoking any talent that Capote had been granted by them, and that after that, Capote would never write another letter above the level of In Cold Blood, which was his first huge novel that gave him fame. Burroughs saw he misused his outlet in that fame. That's some highly charged material to throw in there. Uh, it's got some spooky language, a writer's curse. And then the other document is a manifesto by Bertrand Russell and Albert Einstein. This document came out in the 40s. Nuclear pressure and dissemination was beginning to rear its head. The two of these men and other signatories who were mostly Nobel Prize winners, they got together and drafted this document, beseeching the governments of the world against arming themselves with nuclear weapons. And we talk about this in the interview. I read a quote off of my wall uh, that uh, Russell opened the conference with. So I took large chunks out of the actual document and cut those up with the Burroughs statements. Very intense, highly charged material. You can find the text of that document on words from the show at theearthhotel.org. So my original plan for what you're going to hear next uh, was to cobble together a song from audio that I took with Will, him showing me around circuit bent keyboard and what it could do. However, uh, there's so much material in there that I think I could work with. I'm going to release the track next week and what you're going to hear this time is the entirety of him showing me around the keyboard because that part was really interesting and it goes better with the interview and next week we'll have the result of what I could do with it. But you'll hear little elements of that peppering the episode this week as transitions and little incidental things. That's what you're going to hear next. After that we'll have some viewer mail. I'll play you some new material that I have. We'll do dates and then we'll get into the guest. If you want to skip around, if you want to just listen to the interview or go and find different things, in the description of this podcast there will be time codes. You can skip to whatever you want and listen to the podcast at your leisure. Stick around, listen to whatever you want to, and we will be right back after this interesting studio clip that we've got. The sampler, I did something like part of the signal from the amp onto the sampler. So like the very end of every sample is a bit crushed a little bit. Yeah, I which can hear I, it kind of yeah, click. I like that. that. And then uh, you see these symbols. Oh, yeah. Are they right here? Oh, you can yeah. set the envelope by uh, holding down envelope select and hitting one of those. to get like an actual vocal sample because that was that was a poppy video about ambient music <laughs> That's just I, what I could do with these sounds. 
given just endless time. That's why I love it so much. If I just had my laptop, I could just, you know, just patch this in and just go crazy. Totally. Just ambient albums just all over the place. Right. Well, I'd want to, like... disruptive bins but if i was to do the next one with like a patch bay like you could just search like because it's like 32 points or something mm -hmm. which is like a million combinations like like if i did the math it's like thousands but um and you could like find any sort of ones that just like just very light distortion and stuff or just chopping usually kind of like phaser effects yeah, if you can write it like right on the end, it'll kind of get really gritty. We got too far. Yeah, I need to fix the taper on it. it like I kind of put in a piece and I was like, this isn't right at all. Um. <laughs> just, 80, just incredibly 80s. and let go like if you're if you have a key press then flip the bend it'll act differently okay yeah because it otherwise it'll like just negate the key stroke i don't i like <laughs> i've been trying to figure out like which ones do or don't but a couple of them got in there yeah That's, uh, you can make your own synth by doing that. I forget how, though. It's, like, labeled at the bottom of the keys or something. Oh, yeah. Where you add in waveforms to make a synth. Oh, yeah. It, okay. It'll crash a lot. Is one of them on right now? should try first switch because that'll be a doubler oh, wow. really moved it. and then maybe a fourth one which I think is just straight up uh, distortion kind of a crush that's all doing the same thing depending on like what part of the board it's like pulling sound from it'll vary how the cues work sure
We've got viewer mail. People sent me some questions, and I'm going to try to answer them the best I can. If you want to submit future questions, if you want to send me pieces of visual art to put on the website and include in the video for the podcasts, they're not video recordings of us doing it. They'll become that eventually, but mostly they're just interesting visuals while the actual podcast plays. If you want pieces of art in lieu of those interesting washy visuals that I make, send them to me. Kyle Weems just sent me one. It looks like chalk on pavement. It's on images for the show on the website, and it'll be on the video like I just said. Thanks, Kyle. So the first question, who owns Fox News? Fox News Channel is owned by the Fox Entertainment Group, a subsidiary of 21st Century Fox. 21st Century Fox is named after 20th Century Fox, but it's not actually formed out of that company. It was formed in 2003 as Rupert Murdoch's News Corp split into 21st Century Fox and a new News Corp. They are the fourth largest media conglomerate after Comcast, Disney, and Time Warner. They tried to buy Time Warner a couple of years ago, but that didn't work for Ted Turner. Rupert Murdoch, two executive co-chairmen on the board of 21st Century Fox, and the CEO are all Murdochs, his sons and him. That's who owns Fox News, is the Murdoch people. How many beers in a keg? A barrel of beer is 31 gallons. A keg is half a barrel of beer. And a pony keg is a quarter barrel. So half a keg is a pony keg, and a keg is half a barrel of beer. A keg is 15 and a half gallons, and if you divide that between 12-ounce cups, that's like 165 beers. So in a barrel of beer, you would have 370 in 1785, this guy named Joseph Brahma patented the beer engine. Up until that point, beer had been served directly from the barrel and carried across the room to the customer. Dragon, which was an old English term, which means carry or pull, developed into all these words like drag, draw, draught, you're pulling the beer out of the barrel over across the room to the customer. So by the time the beer pump became popular in 1785, the term drought to refer to the act of serving or drinking beer was a pretty common thing. So that just carried over into the beer pumps when they had that. So drought beer, is that's where that comes from. In 1691, an article in the London Gazette mentioned John Lafting, who held a patent for a fire engine. Quote, The said patentee had also projected a very useful engine for starting of beer and other liquors which will draw from 20 to 30 barrels an hour, which are completely fixed with brass joints and screws at reasonable rates. That was 1691. It's like the first thing society focuses on is like beer and weapons to protect the beer. So you can stay in one place and make more beer. And we've been working on it for quite a long time, but it took until the late 1690s, another century, until we had something to do it for us. I don't know how just John Lafting, Lofting fucked around for all that time making fire engines and whatnot. He could have been making beer and we could have had this. We could have quantum beer at this point. Anyway, keg beer is often filtered and pasteurized, both of which mean that the yeast has been made inactive. So any keg that you get, it's just beer that's not going to ferment further in that. A keg has a single opening in the center of the top to which a flow pipe is attached. You've done that before. And then you go... And then kegs are artificially pressurized after fermentation with carbon dioxide or a mixture of carbon dioxide and nitrogen. So I found a similarity between beer and champagne in this way. Uh, the words draft and drought have been used as marketing terms to describe canned or bottled beers implying that they taste and appear like beers from a cask or keg. Commercial brewers use this as a marketing tool, although it's incorrect to call any beer not drawn from a cask or a keg drought. So Miller Genuine Draft, it's a pale lager which is produced using a cold filter system, and Guinness Stout in drought flow cans and bottles, uh, these, are, these are not, uh, these are lies. You beer liars. Drought only means uh, nothing anymore. If it's actually from a cask or a keg, then it's technically a drought beer because it had to be pulled out of the thing. It's not as though the company is making beer, putting it in a keg, drawing the thing out of the thing, and then putting it in the bottle and then bottling it. That's not the way it works, people. Don't lie to me. Don't tell my flavors what be flavoring. That's the secret to independent media. We're just big, big old slackers. Next question. From Georgia. Why are my nipples so sore? There are a lot of reasons. Friction, sort of dryness of skin, irritation, hot or cold weather, issue with a new fragrance, shower gel, laundry detergent, lotion, lubricant, etc. Vigorous rubbing during sex or otherwise. Premenstruation hormonal changes, uh, menopausal hormonal changes, packets disease, including redness, crusting, itching, tingling, sensitivity, or burning. Uh, you, might, you might be doing too much with your nipples, whoever you are. So um, cut it out. 
or just uh, or just pace yourself and otherwise get yourself checked because Packett's disease is associated with breast cancer. And if it starts on your nipple, that might be why. So be careful. Do exams and watch yourself and get stuff checked out because that's not, it's no joke. The nipples are kind of funny and it's a funny question. Next question. Where are my socks? They are behind the couch. Uh, last question. Where do you get off? If it's with other people, like plural, I don't host. Uh, that's where. Oh boy, there are just so many shows and events happening in the, the local area in the future. Saturday the 25th, that's tomorrow, there are three shows in town that you should know about. One is a generator show happening three to five. DIY Birmingham presents We the People Make the Music. May the creative resistance never end. Snake Church, Jackie Cotillard, that's me. Sun Organ and Clasp, those last two are from Philly. Snake Church is from around here. Pay what you can. There are two touring bands, and it should be a lot of fun. This is a anatomicals project that she puts together as part of DIY Birmingham. Send an email to we the people make the music at gmail.com for an address. Message me for an address if you need it. 3 to 5 p.m. tomorrow. It's happening outside somewhere. Chroma, like chromograph. Cove, like a cave. It's an art space in Birmingham, run by my friend Andrea Dillingham. You can message her or myself for the address of this event. Art Erotica at Chroma Cove, Saturday the 25th, same day, 6 to 10 p.m. It's an open submission art show celebrating sensuality, sexuality, physicality, and the body. Uh, this is an event for artwork that might be censored in a gallery or somewhere like that. We encourage work that challenges the viewer's understanding of their own relationship with the physical selves. 18 and up, these are a lot of my friends and a lot of local people that have put in art for the show. It's a $5 cover, open bar for 21 and up. There's a bathroom ball pit, there's art for sale, and there's going to be cool stuff happening all night. I'm doing a performance piece involving slips of paper and people's kinks, and I wear a bodysuit. Entrance and parking in the back of building. It's a pop-up gallery and visual art space in the Forest Park area of beautiful Birmingham. It's a Birmingham place. And find Chroma Cove on Facebook for that. And Saturday the 25th, that evening, our friends Future Primitives are at the Nick at 10 o'clock. So you could go to the Generator Show, and then the Chroma Cove, and then the Nick thing, if you wanted to party with me all night. <laughs> March 1st, 8 to 12, at the Firehouse. Rolo, Sonder, and Jesus V.O. These are three guitar players of completely different styles. Tony Hernandez of Rolo, like the candy, but with two L's. He is a local guy, and he plays swashy-washy, swishy, cool, fun, jammin' guitar stuff. Anatomical is Sonder. This is a new project that she's putting out that is being put out by a record label in Mexico. Uh, and then Jesus Vio is a traveling fella, he's out-of-town person. Three different strategies for the guitar. 8 to 12, the firehouse, March 1st. There's a Standing Rock benefit show. The effort at Standing Rock has splintered onto private property. The Army Corps of Engineers have evicted the protesters. There's a benefit show. Partial proceeds from Eclipse that would go to the bands are going to go to the camp. That's 8 to 12 at Eclipse. Kalen Salas, he works there. He plays uh, really cool acoustic music. Soul Carnival, they played their first show at Eclipse a little while ago. And then Shahid and DJ Supreme, who many of you know from Birmingham. That's a, a hip-hop duo. It's like classic kind of hip-hop style. They're at Eclipse March 2nd, 8 to 12, to benefit Standing Rock. March 3rd. Back at Eclipse, Giant Sunbeam and the Noise, and Cahaba. Cahaba is just about to put out another record called Bad Astronaut. Giant Sunbeam and the Noise are previous podcast guests. You can go listen to episode 7 
yeah, Cahaba is going to come on here in the next few weeks. And they're also going to be on Spice Radio in Huntsville. So check that out too. Spice Radio, the Spice Cast. Find that online. They're also on iTunes under the Spice Cast. Those are our dates and those are our newses. And here's my guest, Will McDonald. Will McDonald, everybody! Pinot Grigio. Just go really hard with it. That's how you do it, though. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. History goes deep, especially like modern history and current day history, current events. It's really hard to form a very solid opinion on it. Yeah. I bounce back and forth just based on events that occur just, you know, every day. Yeah, I'm always trying to learn more, but I never feel like I know enough to talk about anything (laughs) intelligently. Yeah, I kind of get in there when I can, but I'm just, I'm kind of out of my element in that sense. Right. Well, good way to start a podcast. But yeah. (laughs) Um, So your name's Will. My name is Will. You make gear. Yes. I'm a circuit bender and circuit bending is the art of short circuiting electronics that make sound in some form. Like traditionally keyboards or noise making toy, anything that forms any sort of sound you can manipulate. That manipulation and forming new sounds through it is what circuit bending is all about. Right. So how is that different from a synthesizer? They go in hand to hand really well because I have in front of me right now, it's a Casio SK-1. And I not too long ago finished bending it. It's my most recent one I've built. I had another one, but it died. Technically speaking, it's nothing like complex, but it is a synthesizer. Like black box keyboards that, you know, everyone's had. Everyone had a Casio, like, as a kid. Technically synthesizers, but really simple ones. Not like the ones that you think with, like, the patch bays. And, right. Like, the They're wall synthesizing ones. synthesizing based on pre-written settings. It's like if you took a synthesizer and you used only, like, the very basic, absolute minimum parts. And then there's, like, the whole program chip where you can choose, like, piano, flute, and all that, you know, like, all the different voicings. At the same time, it is doing that. And that's an important part of circuit bending is finding the portions of the board that's working with actually mixing those sounds and finding boards where you can find that so you can manipulate those and give the keyboard more voicings, get more sounds out of it. It's essentially just opening up a keyboard or a toy or anything that just produces sound and mix and manipulating that. There's really isn't like an end goal, like a common question would be like, for what? Why do you do it? And it's like, I don't know. You kind of go into it not knowing what you're going to get out of it. Yeah, that's fascinating. What I, a great practice. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird because as you work, like usually when you have a workflow, you have an end goal in mind. This is what I need to get done. But when you're circuit bending, like I could work on a keyboard for like a day. I could work on it for like weeks, depending on like how much more I want to find, how much I want to like change. It's it's all based on digging until you find things that you like, putting in controls so you can actually use those things, closing it up, mounting controls, forming a new instrument that you can use. Right. It's like, so you don't really know what you're going to get out of it, but that's part of the fun of it. Let's set up this PA so you can kind of demonstrate as you're talking about it. So walk me through what this one does. Six switches and a knob on the side. Yeah, and then I have endpoints to the side, which I'll, I'll talk about that in a second. It's nothing too complicated. Usually with like Casios, especially like this one, the SK-1, which it's essentially like the number one Casio people look for when getting into circuit bending because just the way it's laid out, the year it was made, everything on the board is really laid out. You can reach anything you want. Later models into the early 90s and onwards, Either things got digital or it got put in just a single chip where you can't get to individual parts. The Casio SK-1 I have here, everything's laid out. Everything on the board, all of like the RAM and the ROM, it's just all separated and you cut it up however you like. 
it's sought after by people who usually go into circuit bending. People will just do them over and over and over as they find them. And they'll generally build patch bays onto it. They'll put like 32 point patch bays and stuff. Just huge amounts of like things because there's so much to it that you can bend and it's so robust. It doesn't break easily that uh, people go crazy with it. This one, however, has six switches. I kind of cut it down, fine tuned it. I kind of intended it to be kind of a droney sort of locks up and then you can kind of change it a little bit, create like pads and then manipulate this. Mm-hmm. Usually like people will look for bins that either lock up a keyboard or crash it so it just does erratic behavior or they'll look for bins that just change the voicing, change how it sounds, manipulates it, like distorts it and then you can still play up and down the keys just fine. Before we talk about what this one specifically does. Yeah, that was does, a lot of information. Sorry. No, uh, <laughs> what is the process of going in and fiddling with it? It's Cut it up, like you say. Pretty straightforward. It's essentially like one of the best, most fun ways to get into electronics, honestly, because all you do is you find a keyboard that you want to work on or a toy, anything, open up the back, lift it up, pull out the board. Usually the board is just available. And when you have your like circuit board that it's built on, because it's all built on one board, and then everything's kind of plugged into that. On one side, you have all the components, all your like resistors, capacitors, your chips. And then on the other side is all the pins that go to those. And then like the actual circuit that you can see. And on that side is where you solder in wires and short circuit points to other points. Different pins on the chips. It's often called like the brain of the keyboard, which is just like the one chip where all the information is stored. Mm -hmm. You just short out pins from that to like another pin on it and it'll loop or freak out. Sometimes you get like a phasing effect. You get it to like double or just start looping certain parts and you just dig. Honestly, like there is a little bit of planning out you can do as you learn or if you're a little bit more experienced in like electronics. Like I've learned a lot since starting this years ago. Like how the signal travels through the thing Mm -hmm. is processed. Like I sat down and I read about like synthesizers because I was like, I want to know exactly how this is working. That's great. Yeah, it's it's like a thing to just like the tip of the iceberg to get you into any sort of like technical side of electronics, like audio electronics. Because all you're doing initially with like circuit bending is if you know how to like wire switch, if you know how to solder, which really isn't that hard, you're good to go. Yeah. Yeah. It's just mounting controls onto the casing or however you want to do it and searching around. And then curiosity will kind of lead you to learn a little bit more about it, how components work, how knobs and resistors work so you can get more out of it. So you want to demo it? Demo it. Let's see. This keyboard has several things that people seek after it, including being able to bend really easily. Certain things don't bend well, while other things bend really well. This keyboard also has a built-in sampler. It's like a little 8-bit sampler that takes about a second and a half of sound, and then you can play it up and down the board, and it just changes pitch as you go in speed. And messing with like how it stores that sound and getting it to chop it up for you. There's a lot of possibilities for sampling further for like music projects that you're using the board for. What I like to do with this board is I'll start a video of field recordings or something, any kind of music, anything that has like chords or just a lot of like complex sound. I'll let it catch like a one second sample of that, play it a little bit. Then I'll like start flipping switches with that, get it to distort a little bit. Eventually it'll lock up. And it'll just sustain, and then you just kind of like manipulate it from there a little bit. All right. I'm putting in essentially just a beach wave field recording right now, which is essentially white noise. sound to start with can you walk us through each switch and what it does and show us like the switches <laughs> it's, it's hard to label the switches because i try to be like okay that switch does this but then like i'll i'll plug in another switch and i'm like now it's doing something else so it's a chain along all of those switches as you're kind of breaking the board and shorting out the board when you're working with like circuit bending and you're getting circuit bending going there's really no constants 
as you change one thing, all the others can change, not necessarily because they're connected or anything, but just because the system is in a state of just like controlled crashing. Like I'll have, I have this one here that like doubles it. And I, I kept that one because it does like a doubling effect, like a really quick delay. But as I bring in other things, I'll find that it just does distortion and just causes more crashing, kind of like a bit crushing sort of thing. Okay. Can you do like a sustained piano and, and go one at a time? And Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there we go. The first one is uh, that doubling. That oh. one kind of... That one kind of crashes the uh, the clock a little bit, and also that one will lock it at certain points, which is why I kept and it. And you're on. not hitting different keys for that. That's mm -mm. that's the same tone going through it. Yeah, there's kind of like a magic to it. Kind of put it in weird terms. That one also does the same. Both of these I chose for the sampling because it really cuts up the sampling. Yeah, and then that fourth one is will actually. Yeah, don't move the keys around. Like I'll have like the higher keys at the bottom and the lower keys up top. It kind of kind of have to get used to it. And then, yeah, that one crashes it, but uh, it'll lock in like a sample. Like right now, I'm just playing the program tones. Mm -hmm. Let me go back to the sampling real quick. All right, some more white noise essentially. I don't know if it's doing anything there. Sometimes, sometimes they don't do anything for a while. That one kind of cuts it up a little bit, kind of draws away. That's more of like a high-pass filter. I'll often do a little bit of uh, kind of bit manipulation, because this whole thing is 8-bit, and uh, it does a really good job of hiding that until you start bending it. Then it sounds like a broken, like, Super Nintendo. Yeah. Which is what I'm going for. I love that. So could you run part of a James Brown song through yeah. sampler? We won't say what James Brown song it is. And this is unbent. This is SK one is fun like this. It just always sounds like this. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get. So now it's just... Now it's just hell. Yeah, now, now it's just sounds from hell. It's just... Just the more you go with it, like, the more you just dig with it and just practice with Like, there's just, like, a million possibilities. And you, it, the trick is, like, just to not expect anything out of it. I mean, it's kind of a, an exercise in harnessing chaos or, mm -hmm. or dealing with it in some way. That's what I like about it. Like, I like the noise aspect, like a wall of noise. That's not the right term. I mean, it is just a big block of mm -hmm. signal by the end, you know, mm -hmm. where a synthesizer might refine it, either through the programming or through what you do with it. This just blows it apart. Yeah, there's about two uses for like a circuit band instrument. One is performance, like live performance, which can go either way depending on how you have the board set up, what to expect, how many risks you're taking, experimenting on stage with it. 
And in another stage, which is a stage I'm interested in a lot, pulling out sample, opening up like Audacity, recording those, building pads, and then just working those into something a little bit more recognizable. Right. There's a lot of potential there, a lot of untapped potential for strange electronic samples and noise samples for anyone who wants like a noise aspect. A really famous example of this actually is the BoJack Horseman theme. Oh, Um, I know what you're talking about with the metronome. Yeah, Patrick Whaley, uh, the the drummer is, for the Black Keys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, do you know what kind of input it was? He was using some kind of funky input. Uh, it was routed into like a traditional synthesizer. From what I guess, it was like no, a it was sweet... a Yamaha keyboard. Are you serious? Yeah, it was a standard Yamaha digital keyboard. Oh, and okay. it corrupted the clock. So he he ran. It was some kind of amplitude based input, so that when the signal would come in, it would affect what the input was actually doing. That makes sense. I think that'd be like VCA input, like a voltage-controlled amplitude. Voltage-controlled, that's, yeah, exactly. Is that it, maybe? Did I (laughs) I guess correctly? So so he ran a metronome into the Yamaha that way and put the arpeggiator on and something about, and because it was voltage-controlled, it blew the clock out and that's why I got that boom, boom, boom thing Mm -hmm. going between the arpeggiated notes. See, I had no idea. My friend Christian, who's also my roommate, we've been watching a ton of BoJack. And he was like, man, I found out one of the guys from the Black Keys, he took like a metronome and put it into a synth, like modulated it. And this is what he got. Like, he didn't explain that. I don't think he read that. That's insane. I just assumed he put it into a synthesizer, hooked up like some weird sweeping filter to it and got that effect. But that's amazing. Yeah. It's just the count of the metronome cueing each note and the arpeggiator chooses where the notes are going to land. But mm-hmm. the clock is broken, so it works okay. in that way between slurs the notes, essentially. I see. It's kind yeah. of like a voltage-controlled volume gate. Yeah, circuit bending, there's definitely an ongoing community, and now it's definitely like an online community. Ever since about 2008, 2010, most of the interaction with any other circuit benders, me or otherwise, it's just it's all online. Everyone's documenting things. Everyone's standardizing what instruments will work for what purpose. Which is kind of weird because its heyday kind of happened in the 90s, early 2002, 2003. So this is like second, third wave yeah, you know, generation it's, circumventing. Yeah, that's the funny part is it's kind of like died out. At the same time, you see it cropping up in weird places. You'll hear of a more major artists who use samples on something, but you never see it consistent or it being broadcast. It's always just kind of like there's always like a circuit bent keyboard in the background of a project somewhere. Yeah. And it's nice to see that, but I feel like there's a lot of potential, especially in noise art, noise-based music. It's something that's not immediately known. It's a very weird situation in terms of artist-viewer relationship. Right. Um, it's kind of quantum art in a way. <laughs> yeah. I did, because um, I'm, I'm a painter. I do painting. I'd go to this and I go back to painting and this. I kind of get sucked into one or the other. And I was reading up on uh, the writings of Kandinsky, mm-hmm. uh, who pretty much helped pioneer abstract art very early on, right after the turn of the 20th century. He was there for about a good 30 years, just all over it. He talked a lot about the piece being a vessel between the artist's intentions of what they want to express and the viewer receiving it. Right. Like the artist has an inner, what he calls like an inner necessity that they need. And then they create a piece to reflect in the physical world inner feelings that are intangible. And then that piece is pretty much like a like a visual letter to whoever views it as an expression of what they're trying to say. Right. And then the viewer takes it in. Like if you look at like a flow chart of it, it'd make more sense. Well, how about an equation? An equation. <laughs> um, if you have an element, which is in this case, his painting, his intent, all of those things, all of those elements on his side, and then all the elements that the viewer brings to it, that would be N plus the muse, God, idea, Mm -hmm. high genius, intangible. The spiritual part of it as another Kandinsky term that he coined, the spiritual of art, what you can't describe, but you can describe in feeling or you know in feeling. Right. And it's a unifying Unifying force force. plus one. It's where you derive from. It's what you create from. The obscure element that you don't know the cumulative reaction of the viewer and the context that the piece takes on once it's been viewed and thought about and becomes part of art. When the viewer's context of the world is changed by the painting and its context and the context of the artist, the final product being art. 
it's like a question of if the artist just puts out random, like if he just works in the most random way possible, where just factors of the universe, factors of their own environment heavily influence what they make, then they present that as like that vessel I was saying, like the vessel of like a message. And then the viewer looks at that and draws a conclusion, draws an interpretation. Is that a valid interpretation? Like, what does that mean? Like, what does that even mean when I give you random art and you draw something from it? Right. Well, you yeah. you conjured, you did alchemy at that point. Like, I didn't tell you a message or anything, but you still found something very valuable in what I still gave you. Right. I find that, I find it incredibly interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a weird form of chaos magic that yeah. you could do with sound or visuals or words or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you do very physically with energy with this keyboard, mm-hmm. you know. It's interesting because it's like you, what you get out of it, you necessarily didn't put into it. You didn't intend it. You didn't try to get that. But like at the same time, you're pulling from it and then you can turn around and use it however you like. And I just see infinite possibilities there for that. Right. Yeah. People don't realize from day to day life, like how many variables there are that are out of their control. Right. And it's crazy to think like that we live such constant day to day lives that more or less are uniform. I mean, I'm taking just like the average person that also somehow work around all of these variables. Right. Because there's a lot like the weather is a really good example of just one, just anything. There's just infinite possibilities of actions that can happen. You've just brought the most perfect physical model of what this podcast is about, <laughs> like what my whole philosophy is about and like put it down in front of me. It's really amazing. It's pretty good. I thought you would really like circuit bending. Yeah. Yeah. Because like I heard your stuff heard your music before and kind of your ideas on music and i was like this guy's gonna like circuit bending this guy's gonna like the idea of just chance based instruments yeah yeah i yeah i really do talking about the the music scene in montevallo yeah i was i was there like when it was happening but then i i left town for a couple years and then i came back and it's not really there with like i guess the exception of nuclear milwaukee yeah they're going strong yeah bo's active uh with caleb now uh doing a, a duo it's kind of R&B, but it's like super trashy, like electronic R&B okay. um, with yeah. Bo on a mic and Caleb um, doing guitar and like digital stuff. Yeah, that's that sounds really cool. like Caleb. <laughs> yeah. How long have you lived down there? Montevallo? Yeah. Like in total, I'd say since 2010. I was yeah. gone for about two years, so I'd say I've been there about five years. I've been there for a long haul for the most part. Yeah. Yeah, just kind of in and out. I left early 2015. So is there music to speak of? I know like Christian's band, my roommate Christian Sullivan. Oh, Real Frogs. No, not no, Real not Frogs. frogs. Um, um, but yeah, they do kind of weird like stripped down punk rock and he does, he brings in tons of influences and uh, I'm not doing it, his band any justice right now. I'm going to find that name because that's, that's unconscionable that I'd forget that. Oh, is it Tiger Beat, right? Tiger Beat. Yeah, that's Tiger right. Beat. That's yes, right. Yes, yes. Thank you. Yeah. Took me a second. Oh, Real Frogs was John Paul. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. John Paul definitely makes stuff. And then Flux Noise, um, I finally caught them. I've heard about them, but uh, finally got to see them. Yeah, they're super interesting. You that's... were there, uh, were you recording them? or? Yeah, that's that was on the episode we just put out. Okay. Yeah, okay. it's like the last 45 minutes or whatever of that one. They did some neat, uh, I wouldn't say like soundscape, but sound experimentation. Yeah, I might be speaking out of class, but before they started the other night, Walker said to JP and Rumi, okay, tonight we're going to sonically evoke Jimmy Carter. And that was his instruction <laughs> to the band. It seems it seems really intuitive and all over the place and just noisy, but the synergy that happens in that, mm-hmm. like if you hear the recording, it links up in some really bizarre ways that I can't know if, for example, Walker on the drums heard Rumi on the bass and went along with that or vice versa or whatever, if it just worked that way. Yeah, it's, it's very loose and like improvisational and just kind of like off the cuff. And it just kind of comes together. I really like that about what they did. You seeing like all these random elements coming out and then it forms together. And it's given time and space to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, very like just a long period of time where it can kind of just like morph into one thing and then into another. I really like that. It's not just open ended experimentation or uh, improvisation, though, because they rehearse every week. They like do. They get together okay. every Friday and like have a rehearsal. So. So what is your creative life like? Creative life. I am a painter slowly getting back into it i took i guess a hiatus more just like me being lazy for the most part no but, that's, uh, that's the artistic term for that is yeah. hiatus. <laughs> yeah. i'm on a creative hiatus yeah i'm really thinking about things as, as bukowski said if you ever got a problem you can't solve just go to bed for three days and wake up drink a beer 
you know, take a piss, go back to bed and just do that until you feel better. <laughs> so hiatus. Yeah, but I, I paint. I do a very like specific type of painting, a geometric abstraction, which is uh, it's very systematic, abstract, where you're using just very basic shapes. I yeah. work very heavily in patterns, the color combinations through those patterns. I'll make a design and then I'll build a canvas or a panel to fit that design, which is like, that's what takes forever is really just that. Interesting. Yeah. And it's just like intricate designs. It's it's doesn't it's hard to explain in words. It's easier just to kind of show. Do you have anything on your phone? I don't have anything uh, on my phone. Um, I am bad about taking pictures. Yeah. Do you have any work that you could like go home and photograph and send to me? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I I think I have some. I think I might have some up on my Facebook and stuff. I have a ton of digital work, like digital work that I've planned out that I wanted to kind of work into a painting. I have paintings that I've photographed. A lot of it's minimal. A lot of it's the exact opposite of minimal, but it's just kind of based around just forming rhythms through shape and color yeah building like very small palettes of colors just like maybe like five colors adjusting those in a sense where they form like an overarching sort of feel or emotion to them some of them like kind of work together in the way you'd like construct a guitar chord root notes and then you have notes that are like consonant and dissonant overall you form this type of chord that sounds overall this way Interesting. Like, yeah, choose colors that do that, mingle them together to form an overall like right. flavor. And uh, the geometric patterns and rhythms of that kind of work to facilitate that. Wow. Have you ever thought about having someone use that as a graphic score or like designing a graphic score? Graphic score? Instead of using uh, notes on a staff, musical notation or guitar tab or whatever you might use, standard notation, mm -hmm. you would design it visually. You interpret visually. You can lay out principles for it. For some pieces, we had a timer bar going across the screen that we would track how it progressed through the score. Some, it would be, you have two minutes to interpret this page, however you do it, and we would all do that at the same time. Okay. For violin, oboe, and bass guitar. So in this one, these are individual parts that are written out visually. That's a really interesting way to go about it. Yeah. Like, I never thought about that. But it sounds like a lot of your visual work could lend easily to being very evocative in that way. I've also, I've dabbled in, because, like, I have a little bit of knowledge in web programming and stuff. Mm -hmm. Just, I have this huge interest in it. Like, artists who design paintings through, like, JavaScript and, like, HTML as web pages. Like, you open up the web page and stuff occurs, things occur, is mixed with, like, sound and movement. Yeah. And uh, that's the painting. Do you know any, like... Uh, Raphael Rosendahl is uh, one of the most prominent, because he's actually gotten, like commercial success doing it mm -hmm. like he sold it to like museums and collections and stuff but it also lends itself really well to what i paint specifically which is like geometric shapes because it uses uh what are like vector graphic essentially scalable graphics are recorded like mathematically like if you ever used like photoshop or like illustrator and it's very much just like very geometric designs. Like it lends itself very naturally to that. And what I was doing for a little while is, or trying to, was designing these pages that like formed these like geometric objects. It actually took a little bit of chance. It did a little bit of like procedural generation. I had one that could take the time off the clock on your computer. It would take the numbers from that and feed it into an algorithm that chose colors for it. Oh, wow. Uh-huh, and like change the transparency. And I wanted to do that and have that, have rules established like in code where like the shapes will change and move and shift and things. There'll be a general flow and stuff and have somebody, again, my roommate Christian, like I talked to him extensively about it, but I had a couple other friends who I'd been kind of looking at to do it to make sound just like really non-objective, just not even like ambient, really abstract sound effects for it, or just to do quick chords or any anything they felt fit what they were looking at. I wanted their side of that for that. Right. What is it where you see something or you can like taste colors and you can like... Synesthesia. Synesthesia is like a synesthetic yeah. sort of thing. Try and match that up as much as you can. I could have small sound clips that will be triggered when shapes do a certain thing, when they're a certain length or they like come in contact with each other. Right. And then you get rhythm or like a melody formed out of that. Right. Stuff like it's it's something I've been knocking around. It hasn't really been like on my plate in terms of do. It's more of a long term goal. Right. Because I see that like as like a new media art sort of thing that would uh, has a lot of possibility. Yeah. No, you could always turn it into a live stream with elements. That's a good idea. If you had the, the web page running and, and as the clock 
changed the parameters on the screen, it would cue sounds into itself. But then you would also get, depending on how many people were, you know, if one person was tuned in at the time playing something, mm-hmm. they would open up uh, an audio chat on the computer and then play an instrument or make uh, speak or do whatever to add to that sound. If there was one person doing it, it would just play through as they were doing it. But if there were 15 people doing it at one time that happened to be on the chat that day, it would yeah. randomly cut between all of their sound. I never thought to do it in like a live setting or involve other people in it. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, thanks for coming in. This is Yeah, well, um, I really enjoyed it. This went this went really well. You know and do so much interesting stuff. You could definitely come back on and and we can talk for. We can bring it back every couple months and, yeah. and cover a bunch of ground, you know. I've been I've been I've been out of circuit bending for a little while. I was really trying to focus more on painting, get mm-hmm. that going, but I've really been kind of getting back into it again. And I definitely would like to throw a couple of things I build your way, of course. Sure. Yeah, just to use. Because I like to see other people using my stuff. I like to see, like, put it in the hands of a musician. Because, I mean, I can do my stuff, but I'm not, like, musically adept. I'm more of a visual artist who has an interest in electronics. But I would also like to see a musician play with it, play with this object of chance and see what they get out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. But definitely, if I if I make more stuff, if I get anything, if I find anything groundbreaking, <laughs> sure. I'll definitely come back on. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to send some paintings over, photos, um, I'll put them up on the website with the actual pot where the podcast is located. And then one, I put the video. Okay. All so, right. Just to give some visual cohesion yeah. to the whole thing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Yeah. It was great. If your child is stuck in a blizzard and is in urgent need of supplies, uh, medical supplies, band-aids, gauze, uh, homework supplies like pencils and paper, uh, uh, soaps and shampoos, uh, uh, toilet plungers if you need those, uh, this is one of the only places you can find guitar strings uh, in Montevallo that's not Hoover or Birmingham. Yep, in Montevallo, Alabama, there's a little place called Smitherman's Pharmacy. It's a family-owned uh, business that's been serving Montevallo for a long, a long time. You should uh, shop with them instead of the CVS across the street from them, because fuck those people. The CVS, rather. 703 Main Street, Montevallo, Alabama, 205-665-2574. Play that number back for me. That's 205-665-2574. Tell me Earth Hotel Podcast sent you. The next thing you're going to hear is a track from my album, M-U-N-G. That's I-M-Y-O-U-I-N-G, but you say it like like M-U-N-G. This stands for Modified Until No Good. It's a programmer term to refer to code that has been ripped apart, changed, or added on to, or altered until it doesn't work anymore. That's kind of the theme of the album. But if you spell it out, I modified you until I no good. It's not a song, it's just a little track. It's called Kate's Plea from MUNG. So the last thing we have tonight is a piece by Al-Qaeda the Gun. We talked about the Black Power Ranger a little bit in that interview, and the post-assessor, the following band that Joel Nelson hosted and ran after Black Power Ranger, the next one was Al-Qaeda the Gun, and they're both kind of named to be uh, provocative, but they were instrumental improv jazz groups. 
Joel wrote some stuff for them, but they were mostly improvised. So this is a piece that they recorded at the Earth Hotel in July of year 70. That's 2015. As I was moving out of Montevallo, I had them in for a last little session, and they recorded some of that. So this is Extended Cave. Before you hear that, you're going to hear a short uh, spoken word kind of experimental piece called Strobe Light from my album Songbook Hypnoses that came out a couple of years ago as well. So a little bit of old archive material to end the show with, uh, and that's that. I have a question to leave you with. Some of these shows generate a question, so here's one. What would you tell a five-year-old version of yourself? If you could go back and tell them one sentence, what would it be? Thanks for joining us on the show. Our next full guest, I believe, is going to be Jordan Rickerson, my friend from the Dizzy, and we're going to have a mini-sode out, hopefully featuring excerpts from events at Chroma Cove, the Generator Show, and anything else I can find to record. My brain's not working anymore. Enjoy an extended cave, and we'll see you next time on the Earth Hotel.
Next week, we're going to have a joke with the Dizzy on that. We're going to see you all off. We're going to be some next That's right, folks. We're going to play you off with a little message, a little song. Thanks for listening.